0: We're talking about Paul this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called The Big Ones, talking about people that uh, everybody's heard of in Scripture. And so this morning we're talking about Paul um, because he was, in, in, in a lot of people's opinions, the most influential person in Scripture besides Jesus himself. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Super influential guy. He's, a, he's definitely a big one. Um, but I wanted, before I started, I had this, this, this thought. I have I've been wrestling with these these thoughts from a few months ago, and um, and they are they they I'm not claiming they're theologically sound, okay? So, but I just want to let you into my thought process and something I've been wrestling with for the last couple months. And so, don't come at me after service, all right? Um, If 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 it's you know I'm I'm just I'm not claiming this is totally sound. Um, If you have any complaints or anything. Uh, you you always welcome to email me. It's uh, pastorvictor.thecrossing at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to answer those for you. Um. But, it, but these, these thoughts that I've been wrestling with, as I let you inside of my, my thought process, um, stem from having conversations with people, um, having conversations about Scripture, about what, what, what Scripture means. Does, does this verse mean this, or does this, does this verse mean that? And, and, and you know, in the, in the age of the Internet and social media, we all read things where people are just debating back and forth and, and are hostile towards each other on the meaning of Scripture, on 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 what it means? Does it mean this or does it mean that? Is it mean that literally? Is he trying to? Is Jesus saying something figuratively? We don't. Sometimes we don't know, and 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 we all know that the Bible is not a minute by minute account of history, right? It's it's not just a. There's there's there's, there's gaps in scripture. There's time lapse in scripture. It's not a second by second account, and so that leaves a lot of room for interpretation, and that leaves a lot of room for us to come up with with what we feel like the scripture. Is trying to say. And, and we can cross reference scriptures, right? Like we can, we can look back in the Old Testament and figure out what the New Testament's talking about. We can look at the, the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin and the pig Latin and every little thing that we want to do to try to figure out what the scriptures are talking about. But at the end of the day, we make a deduction on our own opinion on what scripture is saying. And we've been fighting over theology since the scriptures were written. We've been debating back and forth. So now, now we have we have Baptists, and we have Pentecostals, and we have, we have Methodists, and we have, 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 have Presbyterians. All these denominations where people interpret scriptures just a little bit differently. We have the King James Bible, the NIV Bible, all these different translations of scripture. And at some point, you thought the same thing that I thought. Who's right? Like, who's, who's right? And, and, and I ask these questions. I ask these questions of God, and sometimes I get frustrated. And a few months ago, I found myself in this place where I was frustrated, and I remember saying, God, why not just make Scripture black and white? Like, like why, why, why not make it to where there's no room for interpretation? Like, like you, you say it, it, it is what it is. You, you say exactly what, what you want us to know. There's no gaps. There's no questioning. Does it mean this? Does it mean that? Why can't you just make it black and white where there's nobody can misinterpret it anymore? Because it would solve a lot of arguments. And, and, and I know you've had to think this before. The Scripture will be so much easier to understand if it was just black and white, if God just told us what he wanted us to know and left no room for interpretation. And in fact, there wouldn't even be theology, so to speak. It would just, it would be what it is. It would be black and white. And then I came to the conclusion as I was wrestling with this a few months ago, and it's, and it's, it's really deep thought. And it's that maybe, maybe God meant for it. <laughs> to be written that way. Like just maybe, maybe he knew what he was doing. Because I kind of I doubt God was, God's in heaven now saying, Jesus, son, we really should have reworded that because they're confused, you know? Like I, I really doubt that God, God is in heaven wondering or, or regretting the words that he wrote and the way that he wrote it. And the thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that this book is infallible. Is it's infallible. That's just a big fancy word that means not fallible, okay? That's what it means. It means, it means that there's no fault, that it's without error. And I, I know this for a fact, that every word in Scripture is God-breathed and inspired and useful for teaching. The Scriptures are so perfectly crafted that God can use its words to speak to you and to me in totally different situations. And, and if this was just a black and white document with no room for interpretation, it would simply just be a rule book. Its words would have one meaning, but instead, this book that we call the Bible is alive. So, so I, I've been convicted and wrestling with this the last few months of, of maybe, maybe we shouldn't spend time, so much time, arguing over non-heaven or hell issues and, and bringing division in the church and does Scripture mean this or doesn't mean that. And I think this morning or at least today, I'm rejoicing in the fact that you and I can read the exact same Scripture and God can speak two different things to us. God can speak something to you and he can show, show me something entirely different based on the circumstance that I find myself in. Even you can read a Scripture today. And it can mean something to you. And six months from now, you can go back and you can read the same exact scripture and God can reveal something else to you that, 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 that speaks to the season of life that you're in six months from now. The book, this book is alive. Amen. And, and, and if you notice whenever you came in, because I've already heard people uh, coming at me already. <laughs> But you grabbed your notes and there's no fill-ins. Okay, get off me, all right? I heard somebody say, it was a good friend of mine, and I'd never call Ed out like this or anything. But he said, this is very not Victor-like, all right? And, and you're right. It's just a blank paper. And I did it on purpose, believe it or not. Because we're talking about Paul today. And this is going to be the most stripped down message that I believe I've ever given. Because all we're going to do, we're going to read through some scriptures. Some famous words that Paul said throughout scripture. Those those scriptures that you see on t-shirts, that you post on your social media, so people think you're a Christian, and all those kind of things. And if you get a thought today, this is why you have a blank piece of paper. So if you don't have it, find it, get a pen. But the whole reason I want you to have that today is if you get a thought today, if we're reading through Scripture and a thought drops in your head, maybe it's one sentence, maybe it's a whole thought, maybe it's two words, maybe it's one word. But whenever we're reading through Scripture today, if you get a thought, I just want you to write it down. And some of you aren't note-takers. Some of you are me. So I'm not a note-taker. And, and, and you're like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do that. But I, I, can you just today humor me, all right? And if you get a thought today, in fact... I would go as far as to say this. Don't take notes today. And some of you got real mad at me just then because you're weird people and you like taking notes. <clears throat> but don't take notes today. Just write down. If a thought pops in your head we're reading through some of these scriptures, just jot it down. One word, one sentence. A lot of you ladies are like, no problem. Some of you guys are like, no, I ain't doing it. Humor me today because I, I, I know this to be true. And the scripture says that the word is the only thing that will never return void. Amen. And it's, it's, it is teaching. I, I don't have to tell an emotional story. I don't, I don't have to create an atmosphere in here that makes people want to cry or anything like that. I, I can stand up here and I can read scripture and, and Jesus will put thoughts in your head that I never could. And he'll speak into your life. And so that's a lot of times how God uses scriptures to speak to us. The same scripture we're going to read today. Whatever thoughts come in your head. Everyone's reading the same scriptures, but there's gonna be thoughts all over the board. So when something comes into your mind today, get that piece of paper and jot it down. But I want you to know about Paul this morning. He's he's the most influential person in scripture, besides Jesus himself. It's like Paul, I mean Jesus, Paul, like Billy Graham. All right, that's like in the pecking order. And so um, and so that Paul's the, the, the most famous quotes that we read in scripture and that we know about come from. Paul, you may not even know that he wrote it, um, but they're going to mean a little bit more today. Whenever we'll read some of these, some of Paul's words and the way that he writes scripture is going to mean a whole lot more if you know where Paul came from. (coughs) So I want to give you a little bit about Paul. And and a lot of you know this story already. Um, Some of you don't. But Paul grew up, his name was Saul. For the sake of argument, I'm calling him Paul today, okay? And so... I'm going to refer to him as Paul, but in his younger self, he was referred to as Saul in Scripture. But he grew up on the fast track to become a Pharisee. He studied as a boy. He, he, he lived in Jerusalem, and he, and he studied under a, uh, under a rabbi, a really famous rabbi. And, uh, and he knew the Old Testament. That's what boys uh, that, that got to be on the track that he did, they would get to study under a rabbi, and they would learn Old Testament law like the back of their hand. So he was very educated, right? He, he knew Old Testament law and, and, and Pharisees did. In fact, Pharisees, you you hear about them in scripture and the story of Jesus, but Pharisees were just overzealous religionists. They, they 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 abided by the law and, and they knew, thanks, thanks Glenn. They, they knew God's law. And and anything that went against God's law, they wanted to crush it. So they, they were very educated, they knew the scripture, and if anything happened that was against what, what the scripture said, or what they believed the law to be, they would crush it. And so, so when Jesus comes on to, to the scene, and he claims to be the Messiah, and he claims to be like God, this was blasphemy to the Pharisees. And so what they do, they plotted to kill Jesus and anybody who followed him. And a lot of scholars believe that a young Paul was most likely even at the crucifixion of Jesus, that he watched him be crucified. And, and after Jesus' death, this whole, this whole Jesus movement started to spread all, all over the place. The disciples were popping up everywhere. This Jesus movement was starting to spread. And the Pharisees at the time had one goal, and that was to crush the movement. And Paul, Paul built up a reputation as a Christian persecutor. He, he, was, he was very well known as a guy that would, that would take men, women, children, it didn't matter. Anybody who proclaimed the name of Jesus, Paul set out on a mission to crush their movement. He would have them imprisoned. He would have them drugged in the streets. He would have them stoned. He was a very well-known Christian persecutor. And in fact, he was even at the death and approved of the death of Stephen, who some of you know in Scripture as the first Christian martyr, and Paul was there, and Christians feared Paul's name or Saul. They feared his name. They knew that if they crossed paths with him, that their lives were probably going to be over. And one day, Paul was in Jerusalem, and, and he had heard of a group of people that were, that were Jesus followers, that were becoming disciples in this town called Damascus. And, and, and so he was going to set out to Damascus. It was a little ways away from Jerusalem. He was going to set out to there, and, and he was going to find the Christians that were there. He was going to bring them back to Jerusalem, and he was going to imprison them. And so, so Paul sets out. He's on this Damascus. He's, he's headed to Damascus. And on his way there, he encountered Jesus. And so this is what the Scripture says in Acts, in Acts 9. It's talking about. Paul's encounter with Jesus. He says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, which is funny. It's like, what's your name, James? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. So Paul's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to find Christians, and to bring them back to Jerusalem, to throw them into prison, maybe stone them, who knows. Um, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And at the same exact time that this was happening, God spoke to a disciple that was in Damascus, that was, Saul was coming to get, and his name was Ananias. And, 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 and Ananias, uh, God spoke to Ananias, and the scripture says that, that God told Ananias, a man's coming His name is Saul. I showed him a vision of you. He's coming to see you, and I want you to pray over him so that he can see again. I would imagine that's not the conversation Ananias wanted to have with God when he woke up that morning. That Saul, a very well-known persecutor of Christians, was coming to see him. Not only that, God showed him a vision of him. He knew exactly who he was coming to see. And so this is Ananias' response. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Ananias, in other words, was like, Lord, Is there anyone else? Are you sure it was my face and not one of the other disciples? And so Paul comes strolling into Damascus. He finds Ananias at a house that God told him to go to. And Ananias, I'm certainly, as you and I would be, was probably a little skeptical. He's probably thinking, Paul, you, you playing a trick on me? Like, how many fingers am I holding up? Like, can you really not see you know, and, uh, and, and Ananias does what he's supposed to do. He lays his hands on Saul, and the scripture says that scales fell off his eyes, and he could see again, and he was baptized. And this is a story that if you grew up in church, a lot of you did, so, some of you didn't, but you know this story, and, 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 I, and I implore you today to not look over this. It's just another Bible story because you've got to understand that Paul dedicated his life to eradicating the Jesus movement. He dedicated his life to, and in a single encounter with God, in, in, in a single moment of being in the presence of God, Paul, Saul, now Paul, did a 180. He didn't argue with God. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't wrestle about it. He didn't, he didn't question, um, you know, the, the, the power, the presence of God. He didn't wonder, well, now I'm going to be a Christian. I, uh, what is my life going to be like now? Paul didn't question the things that he was going to have to give up now, that he was going to be a follower of Christ. He didn't do any of that. He didn't argue. He had a moment. One encounter in the mighty presence of God, and it changed his life. Because that's all that it takes is a moment in the presence of God. And it'll take you from darkness to light. It'll take you from addiction to freedom. It'll take you from hopelessness to encouragement. Just a moment in the presence of God. It'll change the hardest of hearts. The people that are farthest away from God. It'll change the lonely and the depressed and the tired and the weary. Just a moment in the presence of God. And the good news is for you today. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, right where you sit, you can call on the mighty name of Jesus. And in this moment, you will be in the presence of God. It took a, it took a man like Paul, whose life was dedicated to crushing anyone who called on the name of Jesus. It took just a moment. And now he has a desperate message to tell the world and it's this. He said at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is in fact the son of God. And that was Paul's message. And that's how Paul became a pillar of faith as we know him to be. You don't have to be in church for very long to know Paul. Paul is a giant in the faith. He's a guy that we look at and go man that's that guy's next to Jesus. If Jesus is at the right hand of God, it's like Paul's at the right hand of Jesus, it seems like. An incredible, credible giant in the faith. And I've always been confused reading Paul's writings because he always referred to himself as like the worst of sinners. And, and for somebody that doesn't consider himself anywhere near Paul's faith, that's kind of disturbing for me because I'm like, Paul, man, if... If you're the worst of sinners, what that make me, you know? But Paul always said that, and it was confusing. In fact, in, 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 in Romans, and if you read much of his words, you know that he always talks about himself and how much of a sinner that he is. Paul said this in Romans 7. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good, but I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, but this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that lives in me that does it. All right. Okay, Slow down, Socrates. Like, that was deep. <clears throat> what Paul is saying, he says, I'm a sinner. I do things that I don't want to do. I don't, he just could have said that. It had have been a whole lot easier. But he, Paul is saying, I do things that I don't want to do. And I'm like, if Paul is that if Paul is that, then what does that make me? And that can be discouraging a little bit. You're like, man, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm real bad if, if that's Paul. A giant in the faith is, is, keeps saying how he's the worst of the worst. But I don't think Paul is making it a contest. I and mean, catch this. I, I think that Paul simply remembers who he used to be. And I think that it humbles him. Because it would be really easy for a guy like Paul, who's gaining all this popularity, he knows that he, because Jesus told him that he's going to be a tool, an instrument, his chosen instrument to carry the gospel to all the world, it'd be real easy for a guy like Paul to start to kind of get, you know, get kind of, kind of puffed up a little bit. But I think Paul constantly reminds himself that he's the least of these because he remembers who he used to be. And it humbles him. And I think that it drove Paul at all costs that he's telling the world that Jesus is Lord. And his message all throughout his writings is if he can save me, he can save a guy like you. And all of Paul's writings are filled with humility and a desperate plea for you and I to chase after Jesus Paul knew the man that he used to be and he knew the calling that God had on his life now and he was and it made him humble and it drove him to tell the world that Jesus is in fact the Son of God Amen. so what I'm going to do I'm going to read through some scripture. And this is, I've I've never done this before. Um, I I tend to want to tell stories and create an environment in the room. But I was convicted in the last few months of all the wrestling of scripture that I've been doing. And so I'm going to read some scripture. And most of these are scriptures that you've heard of. And most of them, they're all uh, famous scriptures from Paul that Paul has written. And. This is what I want you to use that piece of paper for. If we read a scripture and, and you just get a thought in your head, maybe you're not, if you've never written down a thing in your life, let today be the day, okay? I'm just going to read scripture, and we're going to let God do the teaching here. But Hebrews 12:1 through 2, Paul said this. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Paul saying, run the race with perseverance. He said, if you do that and you fix your eyes on Jesus, Paul is saying, just like Jesus endured the cross because he knew the joy that was coming. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but if you think about it, Jesus knew, in Jesus' mind, the cross was worth it because he knew what was coming after the cross. And so Paul's saying, just like Jesus knew the joy that's coming, I'm going to sit here and endure, I'm going to endure the cross because I know the freedom that comes after the cross. And Paul is saying, just like Jesus did, if you as a Christian will fix your eyes on Jesus, then all the pain that you're going to suffer, all the trials that you're going to face, keep in mind the joy that's coming afterwards. The fact that you, one of these days, you'll be standing face to face with the king of the universe, and it's all going to be worth it when your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Another thing Paul wrote was in 2 Corinthians 517 it says this it says therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone and the new is here if anyone's in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here some that was that was Paul's story that the old is gone And the new is here. And there's a lot of people that are in this room today that that's your story. That you're in Christ, that the old is gone, and the new is here. And there's some people in this room that that's not your story yet. But I'm believing today, and I'm not going to say much more because I just want the scripture to speak. But in the moment of God's presence today, my desperate, Desperate prayer for you is that this verse will be your story by the time you walk out of the room today. In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, it says this: Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not hear this. <clears throat> I'm not going to say anything about this. I'm going to let the scripture do the teaching here. But just read this to yourself. Do not be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, (coughs) with thanksgiving, present your request to God. (coughs) And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A little bit down to Philippians 4, verse 12, Paul said this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in the plenty or in want, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse is plastered everywhere. And my hope today is that you won't let the familiarity of this verse make you overlook the power of its words. And Paul is saying that no matter who you are, no matter what situation that you're in, happy, sad, rich, poor, hungry, fed, in need, have plenty. That it doesn't matter what walk of life that you come from. It is only by the grace of God and the strength that he gives you that whatever happens today, whatever happens tomorrow, you will declare victory through Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul said this. <clears> he <throat> But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, I'm actually strong. Paul said this in Colossians three. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, these are powerful words and words for our time and our culture. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Back back it up with Scripture. Go go back to verse 12. That one right there, verse 13. I just want you to read that to yourself. I'm not going to read it again. Just read it to yourself. And think about its words. And if a thought comes to your mind, write it down. <clears throat> <clears throat> Romans 8, well known verse, Romans 8 1 says this Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of, sin, of, of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So there is no condemnation for Christ Jesus. And, 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 and I can't, some, some of you sit here today right now. And dadgummit, you feel condemned. And I hope you read this scripture that Paul's saying and that you know that whenever you're in Christ, that there is no condemnation, that there's only freedom, that in Christ, that, that, that there is no condemnation, that you only experience freedom through Christ. And if you are feeling condemnation, that it's not from God. It's the evil that's speaking lies into your life. It's the enemy that has a plot and that has a plan for you to fail. And I'm believing today that just as a moment in the presence of God that we're going to spend today, that you're going to leave here condemnless. I made up a word. Romans 8, Paul said this in verse 26, 27. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Have you ever tried to pray and you didn't know what to say? You resorted to, like, God bless the grass. Lord, that dirt, bless it. You know, you don't even know what to say anymore. And the scripture, Paul is saying that if, if, if your heart is a, has a desire to talk to your father and you don't have the words to say that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, he knows your heart and he, he, he petitions on your behalf to the throne room of God. You just got to have a desire. You gotta have a desire to talk and have a relationship with your Father. And if you don't know the words to say, the Holy Spirit's got your back. Paul said this in Romans 8, verse 28. He says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been according who who, who have been called according to his purpose Paul wrote writes a lot of these words from prison and 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 and, and He he writes words that says, in all things. He's sitting in prison and it's not, he's not getting, it's not a good situation for Paul. And he writes these words, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. What is your burden today? It's my question for you. Paul is saying that if you love God, whatever plan that the enemy has for you, whatever plan that the enemy has tailor-made just for you, it will fail. For What the enemy means for evil God says I'm going to use it for good Because if you love Christ In all things Everything works together For the good of those who love Christ Jesus said I'm making it right And there's one more verse I want to share for you I saved it for last because it's my It's one of my favorite verses And always has been It's in Galatians Uh, 6-9 it says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up knowing Paul's journey and how many times he was almost stoned to death how many times that he was beaten, how many times that he was in prison, Paul would have the audacity (laughs) to write, don't stop, don't give up, because you're gonna reap a harvest if you don't give up. And if you're here today and you're ready to throw in the towel, I, I pray you read these words, And and maybe you're you're, you're you know what, whatever situation that you're in today, I don't don't pretend to know what you're going through, but but whatever that is, maybe you're like, I've given all I can to it. I've I've done all the good. I feel like I'm giving everything I can, and it still doesn't seem to be enough. Can you you hear the words of Paul this morning that says don't give up, don't grow tired of doing good because at the right time, I don't know when that is, maybe it's today, maybe it's 10 years from now, if you don't give up at the right time, time, Paul says, you will reap a harvest but you can't give up. You can't give up. The promises that God had for you before, he still has for you now. The scripture says that he that began a good work in you will see it all the way through to completion. The work that God started in you before, he, he, he hasn't given up. He hasn't lost sight of you. He hasn't forgot about you. But he's just saying, don't give up because I'm going to see it through to the end. That the plan that I have for you, I've got a plan for it and I'm going to see you through all the way to the end. But dadgummit, you can't give up. Don't grow tired of doing good. I know this for a fact today, that his promise still stands. In just a moment, I'm just going to have the band, they're just, they're just going to play a couple of bridges or a piece of a song. And I just want you to stay, sit down where you're at. And if you wrote something down, maybe you still haven't written anything down, and it's not too late, you can still do that. But in just a moment, there's just, it's just a, a quiet over the room as the band sings some words over you. I just want you to contemplate what you wrote down. I just want you to maybe close your eyes and just say, God, I don't even know why I wrote this down. I don't know why this thought's in my head, but I want you to show it to me now. And I'm gonna believe that God in this moment, as we spend just a moment in the presence of God, that he's gonna reveal something to you that is relevant to the situation that you find yourself in right now in your life. So the band's gonna sing a song as we just are quiet in the room. I just want you to look at the words that you wrote down. And if you didn't, I know at some point today that a thought has been dropped in your mind as we read through scripture. And I want you to contemplate just that.
1: Change. Jesus, you change everything. Lives healed, hope found here now. Jesus, you change. Sing that again. change everything uh. Jesus, you change everything. Lives heal found here now. Jesus, you change everything.
0: So we've all read the same scriptures today. We've all heard the same thing. And if I were to just go around the room and we were to read everything, the people, the thoughts that came into your head that maybe God was speaking to you, it would be all over the place. And that's just us witnessing the fact that the Bible that we read and the God that we serve is very, very much alive today. And so if you hear scripture, if you read scripture, you come across something, and there's a thought, uh, just a, a something pops into your head. That could just be the God of the universe speaking into your life, into the season of life that you find yourself in now. Do yourself a favor and write it down, because that just is the way that God uses Scripture to speak to his sons and his daughters. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for all that you do. God, you're faithful. And Lord, I I am most grateful and most humbled today to know that you're a God that still speaks to his kids. That you're not a statue, you're not a fictitious storybook, you're not a rule book. But you're a God that's alive and that moves and that speaks to his kids and that uses the words of scripture to do it. And Father, I pray that as we're, my hope is that we're challenged today, with with listening to those thoughts that get dropped in our head, and and and, and allowing you to speak into our lives. God, you're a faithful God. You're a good God. You 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 said that you're going to speak to us, Lord, and I and I pray that we're receptive to that, that we're open to that, that the words that people maybe wrote down on a piece of paper today, or maybe the words that they didn't write down, that that came across their mind. I pray that those words would 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 settle in our hearts, God, that those words would become alive, that those words would speak to us, and that we would allow those thoughts that you put into our mind to change us. Father, I thank you for your word that it's alive and that it's living today, and I praise you and we give you all the praise in Christ's name. And the church said, amen.